Welcome to Headset, the podcast that examines the unique mental skill sets of elite athletes, performers, and executives. It is our goal to discover the various skill sets that these individuals use to get their head set to perform. Today we're talking to a six foot, 188 pound right winger who hails from Trenton, Michigan, 2006. He was a 211th overall draft pick to the Ottawa Senators, now playing with the Colorado Eagles in the American Hockey League. Let's welcome Mr. Eric Condra. Eric, how you doing, pal? I'm doing well, doing well. Buddy, I got to thank you so much for being our first guy to jump on the pod here as we figure out what we're doing and how we're doing all of this. But uh, we had a chance to talk few weeks ago and and it was such a great talk chatting with you and I got to tell you something um I, the internet is, is is an incredible thing because I thought you know what um I'm gonna do a little research and, and figure out who the hell I'm talking to here and I gotta tell you you're that guy you, you, you're you're that guy in, in, in your first year of playing college hockey at University of Notre Dame you made the all-rookie team the second year, you were all tournament team for the CCHA. Your third year, second team, all CCHA. Your fourth season, you get the coaches all American award. I mean, oh shit, you're that guy. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> Unbelievable, dude. So, so let me ask you this, buddy. Um, you're coming from an incredible league in the USHL and where you played in the Lincoln Stars, and you put up some sick, sick points. You were a point-a-game guy. How, how many schools did you get to choose from when you couldn't figure out what school you are going to go to? Yeah, you know what was funny is I was a late bloomer growing up. I played for Honeybake growing up my whole career. Um, and I played – before I went to the USHL, I played in the North American League, which, you know, um, I just stepped down from the USHL, but still a great league. And when I played there, I was in Texarkana, and that was my senior year of high school. And Notre Dame was one of the only schools that I was talking to at the time. Uh, my uncle had gone there, you know, so they knew about me a little bit. I'm a Michigan boy, so I wanted to go to Michigan or Michigan State or something. All my other buddies were committing there. And, you know, I, uh, Notre Dame was really the only one that, <clears throat> besides uh, some East Coast schools and some of the Ivy Leagues, because I had some good grades. But other than that, Notre Dame was the only one that really offered me really? at the time. Really? So, yeah. so let me ask you this here. In, in, in coming from the, the Lincoln Stars program, did they do a lot to help like promote guys and move guys on in that program? Or are they a program that really helps players with that kind of stuff? Uh, I think, I think the USHL itself has such a name of, you know, that's why I, I moved from the NA to the USHL just because of the reputation it has of moving guys on and promoting guys to the next level of college. And, you know, the, a lot of the junior teams will sometimes look out for themselves and they want you to stay an extra year, but uh, the USHL has such a reputation of sending guys to college that, uh, you know, I, I felt like I needed to be a part of that. So, so being an East Coast guy and coming from, from the Michigan area, did you have any chances to go and play, you know, north of the border, OHL, 
Um, any of the leagues up there? Were those an option yeah. for you? Yeah, so I was, like I said, I was a little bit a late bloomer. So when the time of the um, OHL draft was happening, I had some guys on my team that, you know, Taylor Raskin, some some of these guys that ended up going to the OHL or getting drafted, but they ended up committing to college. And um, I, I always wanted to go to college, and, and I was the ninth forward on a Honey Bake team that was pretty stacked growing up, so I didn't really get drafted at all. Wow. Wow. Now, Honey Bake, that's one of those programs that just is synonymous with success out there. Like if you're making a, a Honey Bake team, like some of the other ones you're competing against, I'm assuming at a young age, you're getting a lot of scouts at games, a lot of attention. W when did you start playing for them? Like how young were you when you joined the Honey Bake program? <laughs> yeah, I was in uh, fifth grade. So like right when they started it, I think it was squirt major or peewee minor whatever it was we ended up going to the brick tournament my first year out in edmonton but i played for them for like eight years and we had a good core group of guys but i was always the last guy that made the team and <clears throat> you know what playing with those guys growing up some of the best players at that age group it made me such a better player i was lucky enough to be able to do that but but this this is some scary stuff you're, you're you're telling us here. Like like if you're the last guy to make that team and you go on to be uh, a guy who's had an incredible run so far, and you're not even close to being done yet. Like yeah, we're talking about a player, folks, who, who's played 372 games in the show right now, and has already put up close to 99 points, if not more, because you never know how these stats guys are. But the reality of it is. If you're the last guy making that honey bake team as a kid, even as a late bloomer, who the hell were you playing with? <laughs> you know what? A bunch of guys that were great um, <clears throat> kids growing up, great players at their age. And I don't know if anyone besides maybe Matt Terramina made it to the NHL from that team. Brian Lurk had a little bit of a stint there, but um, nobody else really from that team made it. And a lot of college scholarships, but no one, not too many guys made it beyond. Um, that just shows how hard, but we didn't, I mean, there was years where we didn't lose games against, you know, some of the Toronto Marlies and all the best players. So we were, wow. we were the cream of the crop growing up. Wow. So, so I, I can tell you this, right. Being from, from Toronto myself, the, the Marlies organization is the one that I've had a chance to know quite well, um, right. just with different friends and, and family members that have had a chance to walk through that program and, and they're, a program that's always had the tremendous success of bringing in some of the best players in the city at every age and, and to be able to go play them on a regular basis, I'm sure in some of those tournaments where you guys are easily going back and forth to see each other. Yep. That says a lot to how good your team is. Now, now I, I, you're also one of these guys who was very fortunate enough to also play in the Quebec Peewee tournament, right? As a kid, what was that? Like? How'd your team fare when you guys went out there? It was, I mean, we ended up winning the tournament, actually. We, it was the NHL division. We won our division in Michigan, so we got to wear the Red Wing stuff. And we ended up playing the, the Marlies, who were wearing the uh, Toronto Maple Leaf stuff. That was one of the coolest experiences I've ever had, I think. Even, even to today, it was, you know, you're living with the Billet family in Quebec City, and it was a really cool experience as a kid. And then we ended up playing in the – you know, Quebec Nordiques, or it was the Ramparts at the time, rank sold out crowd when you're 13 years old, something you never forget.
Oh God. Right. Like, yeah. I don't know if you heard the story of something that happened uh, a few years ago, but there was a team um, out from, from our neck of the woods on the West coast here, which was representing Arizona. And uh, the team was coached by Claude Lemieux. Okay. And in the semifinal, who did he play against? Some little guy who uh, apparently wore number 66 for the Pittsburgh Penguins, Mario. <laughs> and I think they played in the rink that you're referring to, which I think is uh, the old Colisei. Yeah. I, I can't even remember, imagine what that barn was like when those two guys walk in there, I can't even imagine. Sure. Sure. I can't even imagine the French language shared between benches. I wonder. <laughs> I wonder. Oh God. So buddy, I, I'm really excited to talk to you today because you know, like in, in your time as an athlete, you've accomplished some really amazing things and, and not many people can truly understand some of the things that you've accomplished simply because you're kind of that silent but deadly professional athlete who just over time accumulates accolades that that if you didn't know better you wouldn't know that this guy's accomplished and and, and i gotta say it's gotta be your second year pro 2011 you won the calder cup yep can you can you explain to me at such a young age what it's like to win something like that like what was the locker room like like who was in that locker room yeah it was uh it was funny that was my <clears throat> second year pro and it was the first year I got called up so there was probably Ottawa ended up being I was in the Ottawa organization we were in Binghamton New York and Ottawa ended up being a terrible they had a terrible year and they had some great players they they ended up trading a bunch of them who were coming up for contracts at the deadline they had Mike Fisher, Chris Kelly, uh, Koval, Alex Kovalev was on the team, um, Rutu, and they trade all these guys, and they call a bunch of us up from the minors to finish the season. And, you know, they were already out of the playoffs at, even at the trade deadline. And so it was a great experience for us. Uh, Zach Smith, Colin Greening, uh, David Hale, you know, a, a bunch of guys that were – Bobby Butler who played in, for them for a while – a bunch of us got called up and ended up um, – you get sent down because Ottawa didn't make the playoffs, so we went on a Calder Cup run with that whole group of guys. Kurt Kleindorf was our coach. Um, Robin Leonard, who is now in Chicago, he was our backup goalie. And uh, our, our starter in the first round, we lost the first two games or three games. We were down 3 nothing. Robin Leonard steps in, um, ends up having a great playoffs, and, and – it, it was it was a tough tough road, but uh, we enjoyed every minute of it. And you know, celebrating the town of Binghamton had never won a won a cup before, and you know, it was like they won the Stanley Cup. It was a crazy crazy experience. Well, well, for any of the people who who don't know about Binghamton or Bingo, as she's yeah. referred to, um, you guys are everything in that town, <laughs> right? Like like that town lives and breathes by by team bingo really yeah for sure the, you, a lot of these ahl cities minor league cities and it's probably the same in baseball or they find these you know smaller towns that don't get their own pro team or don't have a ton going on and the city just rallies around it and that's you know they live and die by it 
Well, let me ask you this. What was the fan base like there? Are you talking sellout every night in bingo? Uh, yeah. I mean, once we started winning and uh, showing them that we had a team, because I think they were – you know, a fan base that used to be great. And then they had a bunch of years of losing teams and a little frustrated and we started winning and they was, it was rocking by the end of the playoffs. It was crazy. Wow. That's, and that's we're in this old war Memorial that was probably built in the 19, 1900. It was, uh, it was like something you'd see at a slap shot. Oh, as soon as you say war Memorial, right. Yeah. I've, I've expected the chiefs to come flying on out. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? Exactly. I, that's awesome stuff. And, you know, I, I don't know what it's like for you, but when, when I get a chance to see some of those old barns that still exist, you honestly feel like the ghosts are, are in the stands watching you play or skating along beside you. And, and I, I personally, as, as a player 100 years ago, much rather prefer playing in those older barns. There's something about them. I don't know if it's the lighting, the... The, the, the feel of the environment, but, but there's some appeal where those older rinks, at least for me, it felt like they were giving me a hug as I was playing rather yeah, than some of these newer rinks, which just are like, and this is going to come out sounding so stupid, but and it, they, they're so cold. If that makes yeah. sense, you know? Yeah. The, the new rinks are beautiful and I'm sure they're great for fans, but some of the history of these older rinks are great. And like you said, you walk in and you smell, you smell the Zamboni just like you did when you were a little kid walking into those old rinks. And that, that, that brings you back a little bit. And I remember growing up in Detroit, obviously I'd played there at the Joe a few times. And then when I got to play against the wings with Ottawa, you know, walking through that, that was an old building, you know, and that wasn't even that old, but it was an old building and just the character of it makes it that much more special. Oh, so much so, so much so. But, you know, some of the many things I, I, I'm so looking forward to talking to you about today, buddy, uh, rest in, in, in some of the subtleties of things you've already mentioned. And, and one of the things you've mentioned at least twice at the beginning when we started talking here is you, you referred to yourself as a second-year player. And I often am finding myself talking to parents and, and to coaches and, and even just to young players uh, about what it means to be a second year player. What can you tell me it was like for, for you as like a second year peewee, second year bantam, second year midget, second year guy? What was that, that older development like for you? Meaning that, I, you know, I'm one of the late bloomers and it takes a little bit longer. Is that what you mean by that? Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah, so I was, I mean, it, it's funny. If you took a snapshot of our peewee team and you said, you know, who's going to make it and who's not, I would be the last guy you'd pick to make it. <laughs> but, but, you know, I just I kept showing up, and I'm a good guy, good teammate, and I, I worked hard, and I played with, you know, playing with these guys and practicing with some of the best players of your age. You get bigger and you get better. And um, I just remember every, every tryout I was freaking out because – I knew I, you know, I, I have a good self-awareness of, you know, what kind of player I am. And I knew I was a bubble guy every year at the tryouts. And um, I was a good guy. I was, I was low maintenance. And I was a pretty smart player. So they kept keeping me and I kept getting better and better. And, you know, it ended up leading to where I'm at. So, you know, when we talk to athletes on, on, on our pod and, and we're talking about, you know, the things that we do with, with headset sports, 
one of the five big categories that we address with with you know mental skills development with our athletes and teams is something you just talked about two seconds ago and that's a sense of self-awareness what do you mean by self-awareness when you're referring to to your development process as as an athlete growing up what, what does that mean to you self-awareness um i think it's you know I take an honest look at myself and, and realize what I'm good at, what I'm not, who's better than me. If I had a good game, you know, you, there's a lot of players you talk to after games and they said, well, you know, I scored a goal. I played well. I thought I played well. Coach didn't like me, but I thought I played well. And, you know, every, every time I have a bad game, no matter how many points I had, I know, and I know deep down I had a bad game. And, and so, and I feel like that's one of the things that's maybe separated me from some guys is, you know, I can tell if guys are better than me at certain things and what I need to work on. And, and if I had a bad game, no matter what the stats say or whatever, but uh, I, I feel like I've always been good at that. And maybe that's what pushed, pushed me over the edge a little bit at some things. Well, buddy, tell me this, when you say, you know, I know I've had a bad game and, and I can feel it in my bones. Where does that come from? Did that start as a kid? Did, did you have coaches that were tough on you? Did you have parents that were tough on you and self-instilled self that within you? Where, where does that come from, that sense of self-awareness and ability to evaluate? How you um, I, I think it came from within a little bit. My, my parents were always supportive. My, you know, my mom didn't know. She was just happy I was, uh, had a snack after the game. But my, <laughs> my, my, you know, my, dad, my dad was never hard on me, but he knew if I didn't work hard or um, things like that. That that's more of uh, that's more of the issue than anything is like if you if you didn't put your whole effort into it he would he would be upset you know no matter if he scored or whatever that was the uh, but he never he never got too hard on me they were very good very good hockey parents um, I've always had great coaches that supported me um, but I think it came from within I just know like if I know myself and if I'm not having a good game then you gotta do something to switch it up. Do, do you think that the ability to, to develop that from within is something that just comes naturally for you? Or was it something that you kind of got from maybe the environment you grew up in or just watching other people? Like, like yeah. I, I had a scenario growing up and, and, and my story is and being a goalie. And, and, and being a product of a single mom, two kids. Right. My mom didn't know anything besides right. you better go out there and get your uniform dirty and you better be busting <laughs> ass. Yeah. And, and, you know, there was always this sense as a kid, whether it was school, whether it was doing things around the house, whether it was, you know, playing the game, you could have done a little bit more. You didn't right. really get your uniform dirty. So for, for yeah. me, that came from my mom whipping my ass saying, what more could you have done? Right. Where did that come from for you? Um, I, I heard a quote, I don't know, maybe a, a month ago or something, something about you, you can't, uh, I don't know where I heard it, but you, you can't outdo your inner circle, right? And I think I'd, I was surrounded with some really good players and good kids that love the game and, and played hard. And so you kind of pushed each other and you saw each other, you know, I saw what they did and, and how hard they worked and how good they were. And I wanted to be as good as them. I, and that's kind of maybe where I got it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 
when I look back on, on my days and my experiences, I, very much the same. And, and I think what I was really, really lucky with is that um, that inner passion, that inner will to want to do more, it, it almost developed a, a sense of, oh, I don't know, I won't say rage in terms of wanting to get into a fight every time I got on the ice, but I always looked at things as a competition and, and unknowingly that competition became comfortable for me. Yeah. And, and, and I don't know what it's like for, for you um, when you look back on your career, but could you see yourself for lack of better terms, escalating that desire to push and push and push. Can, can you see that? Or was it just like always there for you? No, I can see it for sure. Like I said, I, I maybe, I don't know if you say it like this, but I was lucky enough to play with better players all the time. So I saw that and that pushed me while I was there. And I was like, well, maybe I'll try and get a college scholarship. That's what all these guys are trying to do, I guess. And then as I got, better and as I grew a little bit and got stronger it kind of clicked to me like I can be a player like now I'm just as good as these guys and I can get better and then you know I I started doing better than them and then I took the next and then it was almost like every time I did a little bit better and and saw myself passing another guy I was like wow I can keep doing this and at every level I kept doing it and getting and getting better you know, it's funny when you when you say the word lucky. You know, I, I use that word uh, a lot, and 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 I think sometimes the true meaning of the word is is lost in the reality of the situation in which we describe it within. Right. And 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 what I mean by that is, you know, you can bust your ass all you want, you can do all the things that you need to do, but if there isn't a wave effect that can work for you, you might never get that opportunity. And, and, and I refer to the wave effect a lot of times with athletes where, you know, you look at yourself, for example, 2006, you get drafted by the Ottawa Senators. That wave effect works for you because they're essentially saying we have a need that needs to be filled. We have a hole that needs to be filled. And, and are we lucky enough to, to convince someone or show someone that we're the person that should fill that hole, that can fill that hole. And, and it's that wave effect. So like, you know, I, I agree with, with that word lucky a lot in the sense that, you know, am I fortunate enough to fill a hole on that peewee team that goes to Quebec and right. prove my worth and improve my ability to continue moving my career down the river kind of thing. And, and, and I, I think sometimes people they don't see that or understand that with how difficult it is to actually move on. And, and you mentioned yourself a little while ago in, in a very uh, nonchalant and in a, a very humble way that if someone were to look at the roster, you would have been considered the last, right? Well, yep. <laughs> this, was that always there? for you did you always feel that you were the one that had to work a little bit harder or had to chase a little bit harder was that always there for you that was yeah ever since i played for honey bake the entire time probably until i 
got to about midget major. And then, like I said, I started climbing and I realized I started being as good as guys and then started climbing and getting better than guys. But probably for six or seven years, I was always, you know, I always had to do more to keep up. So, so let me jump into this now, right? Like when I look into your career uh, right now, you've had a chance to play for some pretty interesting coaches and, and, and the one that comes to mind right off the bat that I, I'd love to get some of your insight on is playing for John Cooper uh, with, with Tampa Bay. And, and I, I've heard through multiple sources um, that he's a different guy. He's a different coach from what a lot of people would think of as a hockey coach. Um, I, I'm very fortunate enough to have uh, a young man that um, – I had the opportunity to coach many years ago in hockey who went on to play for him when he was coaching in the USHL. And, and the way that this young man would describe his cerebral way of dealing with the guys on the team was unlike anything that he experienced up to that point in his career. What could you share with us about some of the coaches that you've had and, and what they were like maybe on that mental side of the game for you? Yeah. yeah, I've been, I've had a lot of different coaches, obviously played a, my 11th year pro, four years of college. And before that, I actually played for Coops. He was my major major coach. Oh, and then he was my coach in Texarkana. And then I ended up being able to play for him a little bit in Tampa when, uh, when we were both there. Uh, yeah, Coops is, Coops is def, definitely different than every other coach. He is, he's a lawyer by trade. And he knows the exact words to say to the right people. You know, he knows people and he knows how to read people. And um, he's very good at empowering his team to do well. Um, and he's kind of just learned the game as he's gone. You know, he knows hockey, but he's, he's surrounded himself with good hockey minds and, and learned as he's gone. And, and he's more of a people person to start than a hockey coach. Hmm. You, you see empowering the players. That that's huge. Like that that statement is is ginormous to me. What do you mean by that when you say this guy empowers his players? He he had he provides helps you with your confidence to know that you know we're going to go out there and we're going to beat this team and we're better than them and here's how we're going to do it. You know he's you're going into games with Coops thinking we're we're going to kill this team because we're the better team. And if you have that mindset going into a game, it's, you know, half of that's you've already won. So I heard a story a while ago that one of the things that, that he does uh, with practices, and I, I thought this was genius, is that he'll dress the team up all in the same color. Is that true? <laughs> I don't remember that. Maybe he, maybe he does. But he does a lot of game-type things. You know, like some practices you go through and it's, you know, it's flow drills and it's two-on-ones and it's things you don't see in the game much. But, you know, you do a lot of game-type things with Coops and things that you're thinking. Because he's always thinking about something. Like I said, he's a lawyer, so he's a, he's a pretty smart guy. <laughs> he's always trying to mess with your head somehow. Right, as most lawyers do, right? Exactly. Yes. Exactly. So, so t tell me this. For you – when you're going through your career and, and, and you've done some amazing things and, and, and 
one of the things that I think is just so impressive about what you've done is you've had the chance to, to take your career and keep on moving forward with it. And, and even when there may be for some people, they might think, you know, um, I'm going to play in the American Hockey League for a little bit. For, for a lot of guys, that can be tough when, when they're doing so well and then there's a dip. And to come back from that, how difficult has, has that been for you? And you've done it a couple times incredibly yes. well. Like you truly, when someone looks at your stats, buddy, you're like a Rocky Balboa. <laughs> whenever, you, <laughs> whenever you've had a dip, you've come back hard, man, hard. How do yeah. you do it? How have you done it? Yeah, it's a, it, it takes a little bit on your ego. Like when I was, I've been in the, I was in the NHL. So I was in the NHL for a year and a half, got called up, was with Ottawa and Tampa for five years in the NHL, five or six years straight. And then, you know, money reasons, whatever play reasons, I get sent down my second year in Tampa. And that's a big ego uh, shot at your ego. You know, you're, you think you're an NHL player and, and you've been there for six, six straight years, seven straight years, whatever it was. Um, <clears throat> but it doesn't help to go down to be salty. I'll tell you that, that, that does nothing for you. You know, you don't want to burn any bridges. You never know who's looking or who's watching. Um, so I went down to the minors and I, I played well and I got called up again and, you know, <clears throat> I had some health issues and ended up having back surgery, but, um, ended up signing back with Dallas. 32 year old that you know 32 year olds don't get called up they, it's all their prospects they get called up but I got called up again six games in Dallas you know you do the right things and things end up working out for you you've got to be a good teammate and a good guy and it's amazing how many people are in your corner just by doing that you know I, I, I've heard this statement uh, a couple of times in different ways and, and you just mentioned it a few seconds ago and you talk about humbleness and and being a good guy i i, I don't want you to share detailed stories because it, i don't want to put you in, in that spot and throw you under the bus um but as soon as we get off i'm going to hit you with every possible question because I, <laughs> <laughs> I love that shit yeah. um but but you talk about humbleness and you talk about being a good guy and and, and the line that that was said to me not so long ago, which I feel is so powerful, especially when you're dealing with younger players, rookie players coming into a bigger, better league. It, it goes like this. It's really not that hard to be a good guy. Nope. And, and, and what can you tell me about the power of being humble as, 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 and not just as a hockey player, but as a pro yeah. athlete, as a person. Tell us about the power of that. Because you talk about it so nonchalant that it's almost like that word lucky again. Yeah. Well, I've, I've learned it and I have to deal with it all the time. So <clears throat> in hockey, it's such a small community, right? So if I go into Tampa and I get sent down to Syracuse in the minors and I'm, a, you know, I'm bitching about it and I'm not a good guy and I'm not a good teammate <clears> – <throat> At some point, my uh, my contract there is over, right? And I'm then I'm going to go look for another contract. Well, when my agent or me or whoever's talking to the next GM, who do you think he's calling to ask what kind of guy I am, what kind of player I am? So you end up being a good guy, doing the right things, working hard, 
everybody's got your back. They call the GM before, Hey, he was in a shitty situation, but you know, he was a good guy about it. He'll help you with your younger guys. He'll do this. He'll do that. Well, then the next GM wants to sign you and then you get another contract and you get another one, you know, it, it, it's a, it's a snowball effect either way, or they call the old GM and say, nah, he was a dick. He's, you know, you don't need a guy like that on your team. You, you know, it, it's amazing, Eric, what you're talking about. Eh? Like, you, you're talking about things that most people who, who have not played at a professional level would even understand exists. Right. And, 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 and it, it's that personal experience, that, that personalism of the moment when, when you're dealing with upper echelon guys. And, and, you know, one of the pods that I've listened to for a while now, and I just think these guys do a, just a, a phenomenal job. Like, I, I just love these guys. It's, it's the spit and chiclets guys. Like, yep. with, with those two guys, those four guys, I, I can't forget the, you know, R.A., the host, and, and uh, their producer, uh, Mikey. But one of the things that they do consistently, and, and I, I don't really know if they know that they're doing it, is they talk about the personal scenarios that happen in big moments. And, and, and not so long ago, they were talking to a guy that I was listening to, and, and he was telling the story of how the Boston Bruins um, had pulled him in for an interview. And, and as a draft pick, I'm sure you, you probably had a couple of interviews with teams. And, and he talks about the story of the Bruins saying to him, listen, we're not going to draft you. You're, you're, you're not in our plan right now, but we're really interested in your buddy. What can you tell us about your buddy who we're interested in? And instantaneously, this guy says, he's just a great guy. He's just a yeah. great guy, you know? And, and, and he basically says, if a brawl breaks out, I know he's got my back. He's jumping the boards. He's hopping the fence. And he's going to tangle up with somebody. And, yep. and they look at him, they shake his hand and say, thank you. That's all we want to know. And sure enough, the very next day, they drafted the guy. I mean, that's the power of, of the humbleness and the ability to, to be a real person, right? For sure. Have you always been like that? Is that something that was instilled in you by your parents? Or is that something yeah, I think I think my parents instilled that in me. Um, it's, you know, it, it's tested all the time, right? Like you go through bad spurts and you, it gets tested, but um, I was brought up that way. You know, commitments matter and, and things matter and you treat people the right way. Um, nowadays, unless you're a, you know, unless you're a bonafide top 10 guy, there's so many guys with the same amount of skill, something needs to separate you. And it's a lot of the times it's character. Oh, so true. You know, for, so many for, skilled guys out there now, it's crazy. There's so oh. many more skilled guys that have never made it to the NHL because, you know, they didn't have that what a, that little difference. That little difference, right? That that little extra piece. It, it, it's interesting, you know. Like some of the stuff that you're talking about, I can hear some of my mom's words echoing in my mind. And, and, and one of the slogans that she used to say to me when whenever she thought I was developing an ego or an attitude or – we'll call it an abundance of confidence. She'd say to me something along the lines of be careful with the asses that you kick today, because they may need to be the asses that you kiss tomorrow. <laughs> yep. 
And, um, and, and it's funny how that always comes full circle. You know, I, I've had the opportunity to, to work with some incredible human beings. And, you know, when I hear the word humbleness, I got to tell you, the first two images that come to my mind of guys that I've had the opportunity to work with are hockey players and Navy SEALs. I, 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 I've had a couple of buddies who were not only incredible hockey players, but went on to have incredible careers as Navy SEALs. And, and just as you can imagine when you were talking about like, tell us stories, tell us stories, tell us what it was like in the back of the bus on the road. When, yeah. was, when you get around those guys, it's the same shit, right? Yeah. You, oh, yeah. you want to hear about stuff, right? And, and, and you yeah. know that they can only tell you so much. But, you know, I had a buddy uh, who was over at our home a couple Christmases ago and, and um, my, my nephew was all over him. And wanted to ask him a million questions about what it was like and blah, blah, blah. And it's so amazing. It doesn't matter the scenario, the place, wherever it may be. All those guys, when asked, what was it like? What did you learn about yourself? They all say, I learned to be humble. It humbled me. And you would think the opposite. Right. You would think the opposite, right? Like, you know, you're an ass kicking machine. uh, Technically the only team uh, in the United States that has not lost a game, shall we say. And and the thing that guys say is humble. And, and, you know, when you even talk to bonafide pros, like, you know, not so long ago, I had the chance to meet a guy who is very, very good friends with Shane Doan. And Shane Doan, if I remember correctly, is, is a guy who is so highly thought of in the NHL as just a bona fide leader. Like when you yep. think Shane Doan, you think the captain of captains, right? Yep. And when you, when you go up to another hockey guy and you say, tell me about this guy. And when they respond with, he's such a humble guy. It just blows my mind. It actually makes my heart feel warm. And yeah. I put him up in that status, you know, of, of elitism. What can you tell me about some of the guys who make you feel the same way that you've either met along the way, played with along the way? What can you tell us about some of those kind of guys that give you that same feeling? Yeah, you see, you see different guys all the time and, um, it's, it's sometimes in the NHL, it's such a money difference with guys with what they make and, and what they do. But, uh, some guys are not humble. That's for sure. But you, a lot of them later on in their career, they realize like, uh, they start getting more and more humble as they go. I'll say like one of my good buddies, Jason Spezza, you know, I always, he was, he's only a couple years older than me, but I always watched him and, you know, got all the money in the world, skill in the world, but he was, he, he was awesome. He's the one that's, you know, I was with him in Dallas again last year and he's talking to the rookies and everybody who gets sent down the minors like, and that's, he's a great, he's a great guy. You know, another guy, Jamie Ben is the same way, quiet, humble. Um, Alfredson in Ottawa was, it was the same way. Um, Stamkos, you know, some of these big, big name guys, or the same guys that'll ask you out to lunch or, you know, some, something you wouldn't expect. 
So, so I'll tell you something funny, right? Like, and again, you, you said it a little while ago, how small the world is and the hockey world is so small. You know, when I moved from Toronto to San Diego to go to graduate school, I had the chance to, to start a, a kid's hockey program. And, and it was literally like hockey in the hood. And, and I had these two kids show up and they're from uh, Ontario. And they're actually from a town right next door to where my mom lives back home in Toronto today. And oddly enough, you, you'll get a kick out of this. They were the billet family for Spezza. <laughs> right that's like, funny yeah how funny is that right like you know uh, five thousand miles away you meet and boom yep. here it goes but uh, but to your credit in, in talking about that guy he's still in touch with that family yeah you know like like he, those are things you can't make up you know no. those are things that are just they're they're, they're food for the soul when you hear about people who do that little bit more you know? Yeah, a guy, a guy making you know over a hundred million in his career that's got fifteen years under his belt, and I see him talking to all the rookies and you know guys who he'll never play with. So the guys who are just at camp, you know, there's no need for him to do that. But he's a good guy, and those guys appreciate it so much. Yeah, totally, totally. But you know, let me ask you this: when when you're coming into the league and and, and you're playing at a elite level. And we're going to talk a little bit about the mindset of things and the mindset of, of, of an athlete. When you're coming in and, and you're making a big jump from, you know, even though you're kicking ass and taking names in, in, in the NCAA, is your mind open to learning from others when you're a rookie going into the NHL? Or are you just completely scared shitless? about everything and just trying to make the team where, where, where was your head at when you were making that jump? Yeah. I, I mean, I think you gotta, you gotta learn from them cause they've been there for a while and it's, it's a very different game in, in the NHL as it is in college, but that, that first camp, yeah, you're a little bit scared. <laughs> you're nervous. You know, these all, a lot of these guys you've, you've watched play when you were growing up and now you're playing with them and, and you think, you know, in your head, you think, they're so much better than you. Um, and in reality, they, they are a little bit better than you, but they're not that much better than you. There's a reason you're there. For, you got to remember that as you come in, anywhere you come in, you know, there's a reason you're there. <clears throat> but sometimes it takes a little bit to realize like, oh, I can play with these guys. Um, but learning is, is the biggest thing for a young kid. You know, you can't come in and think you know everything because it's, it's a tough league to play in. So, so in, we often talk about aha moments, you know, a little bit of light shines on us, something big happens, or even something small, subtle happens, and you have that aha moment of, oh, oh yeah, I, I can do this, or oh, oh yeah, I just figured it out, it all makes sense. When did you have an aha moment as a rookie going into the NHL, do, do you remember having one or, or experiencing one that kind of turned the light on for you? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it was funny cause you know, my, my first year I got one exhibition game and that definitely wasn't the aha moment. I struggled. And then I played a, a whole year in the minors. And when you're in the minors, you still are watching games on TV thinking how good these guys are. 
Um, my second year, I actually didn't get an exhibition game, you know, and they sent me down saying, hey, I know you're a good guy. You know who our really, uh, really our prospects are. Make sure they're doing the right things. So I'm like, okay, what, you know, what's going on? And that year um, is when I started to, you know, play really well in the minors. And then I got called up and uh, my first practice with them, I was with Ottawa, you know, I was just as good or as or better than some of the players. And I was like, wow, I can, I can be here. And my first game, I made a play curve back up, pass it to Carlson. That's the smartest thing I've done. And he, he went top shelf with it. So I had an assist in my first game. And, and, and that, you know, when you get that opportunity, you got to take the most of it or whatever, but that was the moment I was like, okay, I can do this. I'm here. That's awesome. Well, let's be honest. You dish it off to Carlson and something good's going to happen no matter what, right? <laughs> I, was, I, was, yeah, I was smart enough to know who to pass to. That's why you got into Notre Dame. You're one of those. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so so when, you, when you see those aha moments that happen, are you the type of person that tries to string them together to create some consistency? Or, or are you the type that kind of banks it and kind of tucks it away who are you uh i think i think you got to ride it i think you got to ride the highs like especially in the opportunity i had you know any opportunity you get it's who makes the most of it that sticks so when you're in though when you're in that high you ride that as much as you can i think yeah yeah i i agree i agree so let's dive into this here you you've been playing for a while now you've got a tremendous career under your belt you're still kicking it hard and and i'm i'm definitely certain there's even more ahead of you where have you seen yourself develop mentally with the game now when you look back at your first aha moment as a rookie to where you are now mentally how are you approaching the game today? How have you developed along the way? Yeah, I think you go up and down no matter how many years you've played. Um, and it's almost like sometimes the more you think about things, the, the worse they end up being, if that makes any sense. Um, I, I don't get as rattled as I used to, um, especially in a long seasons like we have. Um, I, I focus on little things and not the big picture. I try not to worry about, you know, what's going to happen next game. You try and worry about the day, day-to-day stuff. Um, and <clears throat> it's funny, like when I was young, it's almost like when you're young and you're, and you're playing well, you don't care, you don't think about anything, and you play well, right? So then when you go through some bad times, you start thinking about things. And um, you start – then your, your game dips because you're, you're always worried about something. You're always thinking about something. Mm-hmm. Um, so now when I get in those moments, I, you know, just focus, I try and forget about everything and not think about anything. And that's, that's another thing I think I'm good at that's led to my career is, you know, I can blank everything out before a game and, and don't have a hundred things going through my head. Yeah, that's great. I love that. I love how you talk about blanking things out and allowing the flow of what's happening to happen. Are, yeah. are, you, are you a big visualization guy? Uh, yeah, so a, a little bit. 
I go out actually before the game, I'll go out and I'll sit on the bench for a little bit and just look at the ice and see, you know, like look at a little bit, some of the plays that I'll make on the ice or that I've made before. Um, but then when I actually get on the ice for like warm ups, <clears throat> I've, I've started doing this where I just start, you know, like s- smelling the ice or, you know, watching the puck or hearing it slap against the boards, like little things like that, not actually focus visualizing myself doing things, but just, almost enhancing my senses of the game and the ice and not, and trying not to think about anything else. It's, it's amazing what you're saying right now. I mean, you're making my stomach just like, because when you talk about the senses and you named three, you meant name smell, sound and sight. Yeah. This is exactly what we talk about when we're talking about developing a mental plan or a mental focus strategy for individual athletes, like you're doing it top notch. Right. And, and, and I'll tell you some of the keys if you don't already know um, of, of how this is so huge. One of the things that we've learned over the years of um, imploring the use of video in, in training a la, you know, what Roger Nielsen brought to the NHL and in, in, in video technology is to take what I refer to as say a five second situation and reduce it to a three second situation. You know, uh, many years ago, I heard an incredible coach uh, say this about differentiating between an average player and the incredible player. The incredible player takes every basic situation and performs it perfectly. You know, makes a perfect pass, makes a perfect shot that's nice and easy, always hitting the net, high percentage plays, takes a scenario and and rather than making it five seconds, is so aware of what's going on around him or her, they reduce it to three seconds and now you have lightning speed. When, when you're describing these three senses, you're doing that. You're doing that. So it's not like you smell something out there playing and it's like, oh, that's kind of odd. And next thing you know, we've coughed up the puck. Or <laughs> right, a sound and all of a sudden, you know, I, I don't think I've heard that before. And now we've, we've just diffed it away. Same with sight, right? Like you're taking scenarios and you're making them so comfortable that that – they're not distracting you throughout the game, right? right. Do, do you ever remember a time when you were young that you were distracted as a young athlete playing? Oh, yeah, for sure. Like when you're, <clears throat> I mean, different things going on at home or, you know, your coach is all over you and so that, you know, he's telling you to chip it in so that's the only thing you're thinking about and you don't think about the rest of your game. Mm-hmm. Things, you know, I, there's nothing you can do from the – from the time you get dressed till the time you get on the ice, it's going to um, change you being a better player. You've already done the work to do it. You know, now you just got to get out of your way and, and do it yourself and let it happen. It, it's, it's so perfect what you're, what you're saying right now. Like again and again, I find a lot of my work with athletes is being able to create that understanding that there are things you can control and things you can't control. And there are ways that you can prepare yourself for success 
And then there's things that you can do that might inhibit that success. Like we often fear something that, that many people would kind of tilt their head when I say it. And, and that fear is often fear of success. You know, like I had a great game. I had a great, you know, period, shall we say, and everyone's patting me on the back and, but deep down I'm thinking, shit, that's, I don't know if I can do that again. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Have you ever had those moments where there's like a fear of success? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you, you score score three goals, and the next thing, like, all right, now I got to do that again, right? Like, now what I do? I'm, now that's what everyone everyone expects that out of me. Now I got to be that player, right? So now you're, you're trying to do too much, or you're trying to be that player, which you know never helps. Sure, sure. I've so, been in these situations many a time. <laughs> I mean, three three hundred eighty NHL games and three hundred uh, AHL games and. 150 college games it's a lot of almost you know almost a lot of games <laughs> yeah so but so let, let me ask you this as a person who's played that many games and, and to be quite honest I, I often tell people this in, in my humble opinion you know when you're playing the NCAA division one sport you're a pro athlete I, I really could give a shit what people tell you but that's that's my little opinion you're a pro and 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 in looking at that, have you always had a good idea of who you are as a player? Or, or have, you, have you been that guy that's had to, to evolve or taking a little bit longer to figure it out? Yeah, I mean, I've, like I said, I've, I have pretty good self-awareness, but I've had to evolve. Like I was a, I was a power play guy and a, and a point getter in college, and I, <laughs> I'm a, you know, fourth line checker in the NHL. I'm a very different player in the NHL than I was in college and, and in the minors as well. So I have to evolve and it takes some time to, to figure that out uh, coming in from college to the AHL and up to the NHL and then back to the AHL. It's, you know, the, the way the, the skill level of the league kind of determines where you're going to be and how you're going to stick. You know, you got to find that niche of, like you said, where the team needs you and what, what you can do to, to stick. Um, but it, t- it takes some time from going from place to place. But that's maybe that's why I had such a good career because I was able to, to do it quickly, figure it out, what, what I needed to do to stay. Yeah, it's funny. You know, my, my mom used to give me uh, this saying whenever I went to the relative's house, she would look at me and she'd say, feel, feel. And, our, and feel was our code word for figure it out. <laughs> and, and, they, and whenever she would whisper feel to me, fear would run down my spine because <laughs> if I couldn't figure out what the hell she was talking about, the thrashing I was going to take on the way home, like I, the fear was unbelievable. But yeah. you, you, you say it. In, in a way where you were able to figure it out. Yep. How many guys did you see along the way that couldn't figure it out? Yeah, you see a lot of guys. You see a lot of skilled guys, especially go from college to pro and then from the AHL to the NHL that, you know, these guys are way better than you. Um, way more skilled than a lot of the players in the NHL, but, you know, they can't fill a role 
where they're at. So they're just never going to make it. So, so let me ask you this, when you look back on those guys and, and I, and I don't want you to name names now, but I'll, I'll hammer you afterwards. Cause I definitely need to name them all. No, I'm just totally kidding. Um, <laughs> but, but when you look at those guys now as an experienced guy who, who's got it and, and has insight into the game, when you look at them, is it that they couldn't feel, figure it out, or is it that they didn't want to and, and more or less said to themselves, I'm not happy being a third-line banger checker. I want to be the point guy. So it, it, was it a difference in some of them where they just, you know, maybe mentally, emotionally, they just couldn't figure it out. They, they couldn't put two and two together and say, okay, that's what they're saying to me subtly. And I just, I, I just couldn't figure it out. Or were some of them more, I don't want to do that. I want to be the guy I want to be. What do you think? Can you hear me there? No, we lost you there for a second. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think I think most guys are stubborn in the fact that you know I've had success at at this level and I I've done good things with the way I am. So why would I change? You know, I'm going to have success anywhere. I think that's a lot of them. I think some of them just can't can't change their roles because that's who they've been and you know that's who they are. But but for most of them, they they don't want to because They've always, they've always been that and they think they can be that at the next level. Yeah. I, I guess for myself, I refer to those moments where you have to make that change, that evolution as, as that coming to Jesus with yourself, right? right. You have that, that, that moment with yourself. Now, some guys I, I've worked with, and when I say guys, I mean guys and girls, um, they will talk about how they had that coming to Jesus moment with the coach or a manager where someone sat them down and said, listen, here's the deal. This is what we expect from you. This is how it's going to be if you want to stay. And then you go home and, and you more or less have that maybe second conversation with yourself. Saying, hey, listen, I, I, I got to do this or there ain't no tomorrow. Right. Do you, do you recall a moment where you had a coming to Jesus with a coach or with a GM that required you to have to change? Um, I don't really think so. I think, I, I guess I just figured it out myself. You know, I've, I've had coaches that have helped me like, listen, this, if you want to make it to the NHL, this is what you're going to have to do. But I never had that moment where I totally needed to change my game to stay there. I don't think. But I've definitely had moments where I can remember where coaches have told me, like, listen, if you want to, if you want to stay here, if you want to make it, these are the things you need to do. So now you, you get that and, and you're figuring it out. Yep. What was it like for you having that coming to Jesus with yourself? Yeah, because it, it's, it's a hard thing because you've done things so, the same way for so long and you've been successful at them. Um, 
but for me, you know, to, if you want to play at that highest level, I saw guys were more skilled. So, you know, I'll do what they need me to do to find that niche, whatever they need filled. Yeah. I, I, I think that is probably the, the main element of that underlining humbleness within yourself of yeah. being able to say, this is how it's going to go. You know, it, it, it's funny, right? Because again, I, I hate to, to bring up the, the Navy SEAL thing too much, but one of the things that you learn uh, about the way that those guys operate is, is much like many sports. There's that underlying credo of, I play for the guy beside me. And, and in order for us to be successful, we each need to take on a role. And, and now that I've had that coming to Jesus, either with myself or, or with someone else, am I willing to embrace that role? How, how easy or how difficult was it for you to embrace that new role, going from a goal scorer to yeah. Mr. Everything, shall we say? Yeah, uh, I think it's, it was a little harder coming from college to, to pro, I think, because I thought I was going to be that same type of player. Um, but once you go from the AHL to the NHL, I think, I don't think it's that hard to, to embrace, um, just because it's that highest level and, and that's where you want to be. And that's what you, you want to do for me at least. Mm -hmm. And it was always, you know, bring something nobody else can bring, you know, that, that they don't have or that, that they need. That's the biggest thing I would say. Yeah. That that's 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 such a good point. So when you look back as a kid and, and, and we talked about the evolution of you as as an athlete, and we've talked a little bit about the mindset of, of how you have to evolve. At a young age, did you develop a mental plan for yourself as you were preparing for games? Did you do anything as a kid to prepare yourself? to perform was there anything that you did at a young age uh i don't i don't re recall doing anything special i know my dad would make me take a pregame nap on the way to the rink and maybe that just shut my mind off but <laughs> anywhere we go um that would be the only thing i can remember i mean i just <clears throat> i'll say as a young kid like having fun and having a passion for the game you know, as long as you keep that, you can't get boggled down with all this other stuff. And maybe it was because I was, you know, the eighth or ninth forward on a team when I wasn't thinking about scouts or I wasn't thinking about people watching. I was just enjoying playing with my buddies. Maybe I didn't have to think about it as much. But if you don't have that passion, if you're worried about, you know, worried about playing at such an early age, it's, it's you know, it only gets harder as you get older. I'll say that. Uh, it's so well said. So if you well don't if you don't love it, don't try it because you're, you're not going to love it at the next level. You, you know, you're giving me chills up and down my back right now, and i got to tell you why. Um, about a week ago, I, I was asked to put on, um, I guess for lack of better terms, it's like a, a symposium or, or a class with a couple of coaches to talk to a local uh, hockey organization about what it means to move on and, and, and have a future in, in, in hockey. And, and one of the things that we talked about was the difference between those who make it and those who don't, 
I've always found that the ones who make it embrace a form of just all out passion and love for everything that goes on with the game. And, and when I look back on not just my own little career, but for so many others, you can see that for many who did not make it, the passion was gone. There was no love. There might have been a, a real deep like for the game or like for what they did, but they're, they're, at some point in time, the love was gone. Did, did, did you see that in teammates and friends as you were going down the line? Yeah, for sure. It gets, like I said, it gets harder and harder and it becomes more and more of a business um, everywhere you go from midgets to juniors to college to, to pro. And um, as it gets harder, if you don't love it, you know, what's the point of staying? What's the point of going through that hard stuff and, and worrying about the, you know, the business side or the politics side or that. Um, so you see that that's what weeds out the guys who, don't love it right oh i agree so much so and you see a lot of the parents that love it that try and push their kids towards it oh. and then and then the, the kids fade out pretty quickly oh from your lips to god's ears buddy oh <laughs> my god you're seeing taboo things right now <laughs> oh good lord you know yeah. i i look back on so many of, of teammates that I had that just had phenomenal talent and, and something along the lines just sucked the life out of it. And, and, yep. and who knows what it is or what it was back then, but it was so sad to see. For um, sure. But again, you know, I often refer to, to parents of young athletes to go and watch a practice, go watch a pro team practice because they can't conceptualize the idea that these guys who are making big money, who are on television two to three times a week, who have got the papers and, and the TV and, and podcasts and whatever all over them, they can't envision that these guys are a bunch of little kids playing the game. For sure. Is it still fun for you going to the barn and ripping pucks off it's the top? It is. I love it. Lock from the locker room to the ice, you know, and some, some days the meetings and all that, it's, you know, the hard work, it's tough, but I still enjoy it or else I wouldn't be doing it. You, you know, I, I can tell you this, um, probably the most common thing that's shared amongst, you know, athletes as, as it's coming to an end is a fear of losing that locker room, you yeah. know, losing that, that experience and and I got to tell you, some of my fondest fondest moments all revolve around the locker room. I, I I had a teammate in college that said, "You know what really sucks about our team?" And we'd say, "What? We actually have to go out and play hockey right now." <laughs> <laughs> I wish we could just stay in here and just be us guys. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. You know, it's the best time. Oh, it totally is. It totally is. So, so let, let me just wrap up with a couple things here. I, I got to okay. ask, can you tell us a little bit about the most exciting moment of your hockey career? Give us a story of, of one of the most exciting moments of your hockey career. Uh, probably a couple. My, the one that comes to mind right away is uh, 
my first playoff game. We were in Madison Square Garden. It wasn't my first, but I was. It was Game Five. We were playing the Rangers. I was with Ottawa, and I was in the starting lineup at Madison Square Garden. You know, and the the, the national anthem's going, and the crowd just going wild. And I, and it had a surreal moment of like, where you know, where am I? What's going on? Am I really doing this? This is, it was that was one of the coolest moments. Um, another moment, and obviously, I said I was a Detroit kid growing up there. My first game on my, you know, one way, my first full year in the NHL was in Detroit. And I got a box for <clears throat> the middle box, 30 people with my whole family and friends and everybody. And I'm playing against Datsuk and Zetterberg, the guys who I grew up watching. That was another <clears throat> surreal moment for me. Yeah. That, I mean, that just gives you goosebumps. I mean, it was. how many people can say that, that, their big moment, their first big moment happened at Madison Square Garden. Like, holy shit, yeah, right? Like, it just don't get any fucking better than that. No, no. <laughs> we actually, my year, my year I was in Tampa, we knocked out uh, Detroit in the playoffs, and that was Tatsu's last game in the NHL. Oh. Shook his hand, shaking his hand after, just like, what? this is awesome. So I, I, I got to ask you this, right? As a guy to a guy, do, do, do you shake his hand, say good game, and then ask, can I get your autograph? <laughs> I wish. I wish I could have done that. Crazy stuff, eh? Yeah, Crazy stuff. Awesome. Buddy, I can't thank you enough for spending so much time with me today and, and, and yeah. about the mental no problem. side, the emotional side. We're definitely going to have you come back on again and take your heart and show you know,